This artifact was commissioned by Sean Lynham to tell the childhood stories of the Lynham siblings. Hello, I'm John from Artifact, and this conversation is with Carol and Irene. They recall their youth in Ireland, amusing details from their long boat ride over to America, and how blessed they feel to be a part of such a loving and thriving family. I'm Carol Lynham Ayers. I'm the oldest of the eight siblings. I'm Irene Lynham Fernandes, and I'm the second oldest of the siblings. I live in Washington State. And I live in New Jersey. We are talking about some of these longtime family memories of yours, and let's go back to some of your early days in Ireland, which I think is a fascinating part of your family's trajectory for the younger generations. Can you both tell me what your earliest memories of Ireland are obviously, there may not be some specifics there, but what jumps out to you about those early years you got to spend growing up there? We always let Carol go first. Carol, go yes, first. aren't you nice, Irene? Thank you. She's the oldest. I mean, that was, over, that was over 60 years ago when we were living in Ireland. I do remember a little bit about the school we went to. We went to Corpus Christi School. We wore our uniforms. When we moved to Collins Avenue, which was the last house we lived in in Ireland, uh, we had to take the bus to school every day. I remember lining up in the front hallway before we left the house and getting our, I think they were cod liver oil pills. We got cod liver oil every morning. I don't think they were pills, Carol. I think it was a liquid. Oh, I thought it was like a liquid gel, but I could be wrong. You know, <laughs> 60 years ago or more. Instead of vitamins, we got cod liver oil right, before right. we left the house. Before we left the house. They were good for you, so we had to take that every day. I vaguely remember the school. I remember the church was next to the school. It was set way back from the road. The house was a four-bedroom house on Collins Avenue. I remember when Dad was here for the year without us, when there were six kids at that point, Mom used to do what you now call a B&B rental, and somehow all of us, six kids and Mom, squeezed into two bedrooms so that she could rent out the other two bedrooms for income. And we got to meet our the guests, and we had to try to keep quiet and that kind of thing. So I, I kind of have a vague recollection of that. I think the first memory I have is when daddy, our dad, told us that his father died. He came up the stairs in Collins Avenue. We were up on the second floor and he told us dad, our, grand, our grandfather had died, who I really don't remember, uh, in the hospital at night, overnight. So he told us in the morning. I remember that. I remember living in Collins Avenue. I don't remember the second floor too much. The first floor, of course, I remember. I remember mm-hmm. going to school on the bus standing outside around the corner, getting on a public bus. I mean, kids getting on it, four little kids. I guess there were four of us going to school. Four kids going on a public bus, the oldest being nine or 10, would never happen here. We all had our uniforms on. And I remember one day- Yeah, there were three of us, because I don't think Terry went to school over there. I think Terry, didn't he? I thought he did the first grade. He, he did one grade there. Maybe, I guess I'm wrong. But I remember one day I was supposed to bring in a bottle of soda to school for something. And I was so excited to carry the soda. I left my books behind and they were on, a, on the ground around the corner from our house. And I went to school without my books. And so a neighbor brought them in back into the house. I remember school. I remember being in the big playground. And, out, and actually, yeah, I there was, was a big playground. Yeah, I remember that. I was at Corpus. I went actually went there a few years ago when we were in Ireland. I went up to Corpus Christi. I didn't recognize anything, though. 
it's still there, mm-hmm. of course. Right. But we went, I guess it was 20 minutes on a bus to go to school every day. Right, when we moved to Collins Avenue. But when we lived on Fleming Road, which was the house before that, you could walk to school. But I can't remember, you know, how many years I did that before we moved to Collins Avenue. I don't remember Fleming Road at all. Right. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. When we were in Ireland, of course, we didn't have a car. I guess we had a car for the last year before Daddy went to America. And we used to take the bus everywhere, go to school. My mother used to go grocery shopping on a bus. Eventually, we did get a car for about a year, but we gave it up because, of course, my mother didn't drive. And my father moved to Ireland, so we gave up the car. Moved to the U.S. (laughs) Yeah, our father came over here a year before we did. He came in 57. We came in 58. Uh, So we lived in a suburb of Dublin. We didn't live in the country. You know, in a new house, an attached house. Of course, they were all row houses. Well, attached houses. So we lived in the middle of a block. There were houses either side of us attached to us. That's the way they were built. They were new when we moved in. So it was a new development, I guess you'd call it. Right. It was brand new when we moved in. The backyard had two levels. The lower level was grass and the upper level, mom and dad planted vegetables. I remember potatoes and peas and all kinds of things grew in the top part of the garden. And there was a garage in the back and there was a lane in the back where you could drive around the block to get into your garage. I do remember that. I remember playing out in the backyard as a kid. We were very close to some few stores, but we weren't close to anything that we would call the grocery store. No, mom would put me on the bus with a list and I would go get the groceries and come back on the bus. I remember doing that. Yeah. This store was called Pay and Takes. Isn't that a funny name? Pay and Take. Well, you wouldn't, things today, you know, you wouldn't put your kid on a, gro- on a bus to go grocery no. shopping at nine or eight or nine. Would never think of it. Probably illegal. But then we did and or else our grandmother would bring the groceries over. We didn't have a phone. So my mother would give her mother a grocery list. Um, she would go into Dublin. She lived the other side of Dublin. She would go into downtown, do shopping, and then she would get on the bus and bring the things over to my mother, who had six children. So my mother wasn't going anywhere on her, you know, very much. I do remember I broke my ankle in when I was a kid. I was with my dad and I was riding on the back, back of his bicycle. That's what you did in those days. And I got my foot caught in the bicycle spoke. And I went down and I went down. The last thing I remember is all the men running over. They were apparently, my father told me later, they were waiting on the, for the bus to go to the track. And the next thing I remember, I was brought home with a cast on my foot and up towards my knee. And I cried all night. It was terrible. And my mother took me in on the bus the next day. She took me back to the hospital and they had put the cast on too tight. So the cast mm-hmm. was removed and they put a window in the side of the cast where the brake was so they could access the wound. And then I was out of school for quite a while. I guess I was out of school for months. And my mother had to carry me up and down the stairs. My mother would just get a neighbor to watch the kids and you get on the bus with your mom and you'd go to the hospital. When we came to America, my father was here. So we got on a train to go to the ship. Which was in Cove, C-O-B-H, Cove in Ireland, where the ship came. Well, the ship didn't come in. The, the ferry came in. What happened was... The Cove in Ireland is the last place the Titanic stopped. 
except it had the same problem. The water's not deep enough, so it actually anchored it off the coast, which is what our ship, the SS America, did. And a small ferry-type boat comes in to pick up the passengers. And I remember we got on the boat, and it took us out into the ocean. You couldn't see anything else around you, and you had to walk up a gangplank. And it was one of those gangplanks that had a like a slab of wood and an opening and a slab of wood and an yes, opening. Yes, I remember yes. being scared to death and being afraid I was going to wind up in the ocean. I did, too. I was afraid to death, too. We took the train from Dublin to Cork. Right, and then Cove. And then the last half hour, we, we transferred another train, and we went to Cove. I right. remember the same thing, that being mm-hmm. scared to death. There's my mother with her six children on a train. Then we stopped in Cork, and we ate on the we ate lunch or something. First time I think I'd ever eat out in my life. Right, yeah. Then got on the half hour to the Cove. I also remember when we got on the ship, it was it was late, I guess, and it was dinner time, and we went to the dining room, my mom and the six of us, and we were put at a table with this poor man who was eating there by himself. <laughs> so there was mom, the six of us, and this man. From After that, we always had our own table, but that first night when I guess people were just getting on at you know, different points, we were seated with that poor man. So the food was very good, except we were looking for chips, as in fish and chips. And every night we looked on the menu for chips and we'd order chips and we'd get potato chips, which we had never had in our lives and we didn't really like them. And then I think the last night on the ship on the menu, it said French fried potatoes. So we ordered French fried potatoes and it turned out to be chips, but it took us a whole week to figure that out. Yeah, I remember remember that. that. Yeah. Yeah. We arrived in New York. It was five days. It was rough going. It was April. Remember, the Titanic sank in April in the North Atlantic. We were also in April. The weather was very rocky and stormy. One day in particular was very bad. Yeah. Very. But we were re-rocked and rolled and we were sick. Oh, we were sick a lot. We were only on the deck once or twice because we were blown to bits because it wasn't really meant for, um, you know, it wasn't like a cruise ship. So we mostly just stayed below, and there was a playroom, and they showed movies, and um, we had a good time, but we were sick a lot. There was a playroom, like a nursery, where you could go every day, and they had activities for kids. I remember that. We mm. we have a picture that was taken in the nursery of all of us uh, and mom and, you know, various people in the group that day, but I do remember the nursery. They did have an indoor pool. We got to walk around the ship one day, and we saw the indoor pool, and when we pulled in in New York, we had to show all our paperwork, and the immigration officials were all set up in first class. Of course, we were not in first class, so we got to go into first class and see how the better half lived to show our paperwork (laughs) before we could get off the ship. Remember, we were after Ellis Island. There was no, Ellis Island had been closed by then. Right, right. Do you remember your feelings at all at that age about coming to America? Were you excited? Do you remember any of those emotions going into that expedition? Yeah, we were excited. It was an adventure. It was an adventure, but we also were leaving behind the friends that we had in Ireland. And grandparents, and our grandmothers. Grandmothers, uncles, aunts. I remember, I often, now I think back, and it must have been very, very difficult, especially for my grandmother on my mother's, on our mother's side. I mean, she was losing her whole world, her daughter and her six grandchildren. You know, a lot of her life was helping my mom take care of her kids. That was a big part of her life. My other grandmother had, you know, I don't think she was as involved in our life, but my mother's mother, Nanny, she was very involved, and she did a lot for my mom. 
and the kids. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure my mother missed her terribly. And I'm sure my grandmother missed her terribly. My, that grandmother never visited us. She wouldn't come. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we certainly was welcome to come. We wanted her to come, but she would never, she would never come. My other, our other grandmother did come and visit once for the World's Fair in 64. <laughs> the other grandmother did. Saying on the topic of your mother's mother, Irene, you mentioned a story that occurred when you and your sister Kay visited your grandmother. Uh, can you tell me about that? I guess when I was about 20, 21, Kay was a few years younger. Carol was engaged to be married, and Kay and I went to Ireland. Carol was supposed to go, but Kay and I went. Right. It was 1970. I do remember. We, we were out a lot. And I remember once when we came home early and my grandmother was dressed in an old dress. And I realized that she'd been dressing up for us mm-hmm. when we came home. Yeah, I remember my and my grandmother also, we were in her house. She lived across, this is my mother's mother. She lived across from a large a church, not a huge mm-hmm. church, huge grounds though, tremendously large grounds. Now there's a low-income housing on those grounds. But then there was not when we were there in 70, and Kay and I were waiting for my grandmother to come back, and we looked over, and there she was standing. The wind was tremendous, and Grandma Nanny was was standing holding on to a tree in the ground. She was coming home from church. She went to church every day. She lived across from the church. We were waiting for Uncle Joe to come and pick us up, but Joe was delayed because of the weather. So we went across the street and, and had kind of plied her loose from the tree oh, wow. and, and helped her walk home. Wow. Yeah, I remember a tremendously windy day. We couldn't understand why Uncle Joe wasn't there. Joe was on my father's side, our father's side. He's one of his brothers, and he was he was supposed to come with his car, and he didn't show up for hours, and no one had any phones. So he delayed us because of the wind. So now returning to the timeline of things a little bit, let's pick up with your arrival in America. Can you start by describing the feeling of seeing your dad there when you arrived in New York and take me through those early years when you got to the country. I remember being very excited to see him and so very glad to be off the ship, but very glad to see him. I remember our parents had were very friendly with two couples who had lived in Ireland and now lived in the U.S. And the two husbands came with their cars, both of them. Did dad have a car? I don't really remember. I don't think so. No, he didn't have a car. So they could pack up all our stuff, and we had a lot of stuff, and six kids, et cetera, into the two cars. And then we went to one of their houses, and Tess was the woman's name, and she had prepared a meal for us, and we ate, enjoyed our meal. And then she sent us all into the living room and turned on the TV. Now, we had never had a TV in Ireland. You know, they were starting to become popular, but we didn't have any money, so we didn't have a TV. And she turned it on, and we were sitting there watching it. And a little while later, she came in and took a look at the screen. And at that point, TVs had the vertical hold where the picture would flip around and around and around. We just sat there watching this thing go round and round and round. We never thought of saying there's something wrong with the TV. Can you fix it? She just looked at us, fixed it, and went back in the kitchen. I went back I always outside. remember that. We also were told, our father told us that when we got on the ship, he didn't have a place for us to live. When we got off the ship, he did. 
you had to try to find some place that would be big enough, and they obviously didn't have many much money, so they found an apartment in Newark and managed to squeeze all eight of us into the apartment. We stayed in that for one year, and then we moved to Kearney, where their friends lived and where there were a lot of Irish and Scottish people, and we went into another apartment, then a two-family, and eventually they bought a house, spreading this over a lot of years. But I do remember him saying that he didn't have a place for us to live. He keeps looking and looking and looking and going crazy and finally came up with something. Well, remember, the house was public housing. The apartment, yeah. The apartment was yeah. public housing projects. Exactly. Which is called the projects in Newark. in Newark, yeah. And he had, but he had mattresses and he had a television. I think my father had got, been watching TV for a year, so he made sure we had a TV when he arrived. Mostly he liked to watch the baseball games. He loved the, he loved the, uh, the Yankees. The Yankees. He became a Yankee fan very quickly. A huge Yankee fan. In Ireland, our father played a lot of soccer as a young man. He was a very good athlete, and he, he loved sports, loved watching them on TV when he got to America. But in Ireland, he played a lot of soccer and tennis. So we lived in the um, projects in Newark public housing for a year, and it was very, very hot that first summer. Oh, my goodness. We never Humidity. Ireland does not do humidity. And we did not do humidity well. It was very, very hot for us. And the area we were in, we went to the Catholic school, St. Lucy's, and it was very Italian neighborhood. And of course, you know, Italian delis and all this kind of thing, it just, you know, was was different for us. But we adjusted, made friends and went to school and then just stayed there a year and then moved to Kearney and um, went to Catholic school in Kearney. Yeah, well, we, we went to St. Lucy's in Newark. The nun in charge, or whoever, put us all and assigned us all to grades, and she assigned me to the third grade, even though I had never been to a second grade. Because of your birthday, right? Well, she also told Bob that the kids coming from Europe had a better background, educational background. They better could, educated, yeah. Better educated. We could do, we could skip a grade. So I skipped second grade, so I, I didn't know my times tables. That was my big drawback. And I'd never heard of even heard of Thanksgiving. We didn't know anything about those kind of things, but I, we caught on pretty fast. Right. We didn't know who Christopher Columbus was. I remember when I started school, yeah, starting school, and they did a test on what they knew from the previous year, and I had no clue what they were talking about. I could name the kings of England, and they couldn't. So there you go. Whatever you learned. Right. I think the uh, Catholic schools, they were not as strict as we were used to. School was less strict. I definitely thought they were less strict than they had been in Ireland. It was an adjustment, but language was not an issue. So many immigrants, of course, language is the issue. We didn't have language as an issue. We just had accents, but that's okay. <laughs> they went away, which is sad, but my parents never lost their accents. But, but we did. I think when you go to school, when you're young and you go to school in another country, you lose your accent, which we all did, of course. Which we all did. Yes, we did. I'd love to hear more about. Just living in such a large family, especially after you came over here to the States, you two are the oldest. I'm sure you had to do a lot of taking care of your younger siblings as well. Can you tell me about what it was like being in this big household with your younger siblings running around during these childhood years of your life? Well, Carol was always in charge, right, Carol? Sort of, yeah, that happened a lot. We just kind of got used to it. You know, older ones, older 
siblings taking care of younger, uh, cooking meals later on when I was a teenager and taking your turn in the bathroom. There was only one bathroom for 10, eventually 10 people. So you had to, uh, you know, follow a schedule pretty much and get in and out quickly. Otherwise, you know, you'd have somebody banging on the door at you. There were challenges, but somehow we managed. I remember one time much, much later in life having We had a party at the house and some people that were there who had never been to our house before. And I remember the woman saying to me later, I realized how many people were in this house when I saw all the toothbrushes in the bathroom. (laughs) That was Jack's Jack's aunt said that to me. I said, yeah, I guess that's true. You see 10 toothbrushes lined up. You get used to it, but. Yeah, you just get used to it. We, Kay was very good with little kids, especially. She was better than I think any of us. When Kay is the third, you know, third oldest, she was very good, with, especially Claire and Jean came along when I was at high school. And Kay was a very good little mother. I guess we just did what we had to do. We took turns doing the dishes. And mom still definitely had a hand in it and everything, though. It was she did not turn over the responsibility of raising her children, her young children to her older children. I don't think she did that at all. She didn't start working till, well, she started working early on. She would work nights cleaning offices. And eventually she got a job in a department store and worked part-time and, you know, nights and weekends and that kind of thing. And um, she would leave dinner to be put on or dinner cooked or whatever. Yeah. And then we would have to take care of that for the rest of the family. So we all had to do our bit, but we kind of got used to it. That was just the way things were. I never thought about it. And then when we were 16, then we all got jobs. So everybody had a job eventually, part-time. But she, yeah, mom did definitely not turn the responsibility to over, over to her older children like I think a lot of women would have. Mom did not. I mean, mom had her her two children in her 40s, and she still was, you know, a a mom. She didn't turn it over to anybody else, I always thought. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah, she sounds like an incredible person. And so we're starting to come towards the end of the interview. But before we get to that, I just want to check in and see if there are any anecdotes or stories or aspects of your growing up that you really wanted to make sure we touched on uh, before we start to wrap things up. Well, I I think we got along reasonably well growing up, (laughs) but I think we get along extremely well now. I live on the West Coast, 3,000 miles away, but I still feel very close to my siblings, and I've had such a hard time lately. My husband's been sick, and they have been extremely supportive, and I value them a lot. I really do. All of my siblings, I value them. And I think that the next generation should value their family, siblings, cousins, because they're very important in your life. I think so, too. And I think keeping in close contact is important. All through the pandemic, we've been doing Zoom calls, the eight of us, 16 of us, but eight and partners, spouses. And hopefully the cousins, the next generation, will continue to do the same thing because the family is just getting bigger. I mean, there are 16 of the next generation and there have only been six weddings. So there are possibly 10 more weddings to go. And there are how many grandchildren now, Irene, the next generation? I don't know. I haven't. Uh, let's see. There are 14 of my grandchildren's age group. Right. There are 14 in that age group. And there's a possibility for many more. For many more. So I hope they all keep in touch because, as Irene said, I think it is important. And uh, there's always someone to talk to, listen to, and keep in touch with, get in contact with, visit. And, you know, we do try to support each other. Celebrate with. Celebrate. Celebrate with. There have been some major 
problems various family members have had over the years, and we've always helped each other out. So I agree. I think that's very important. Absolutely. You'll never regret it. I mean, my house is open to any of my nieces, nephews, siblings that come my way, because like I said, I live on the West Coast, but I'm happy to have any of them come. And um, I could never, ever say which of my siblings are my favorite. They're all, none of them are my favorite. They're all the same. Don't you agree, Carol, or am I your favorite? Of course you're my favorite. Of course. <laughs> no, it's, it's important. I agree with what Irene said. It's important to keep the relationship going. And phones, of course, and emails and texting is so much easier. My mother used to call me every Saturday morning and spend the whole half hour keeping me up to date on what's going on. So I always knew what was going on. But when she asked, it's great that we still do it. We still keep in touch. I always know what's going on. Pictures go fly back and forth. Pictures, yeah. Texts, emails. And we've, like I said, we've had hard times. Families have had terribly hard times. We're going, I'm going through a hard time right now. But I feel like my family really supports me. That is such a blessing to, to be surrounded by so many loving siblings. I, I can't imagine what, what's that, what that is like and to have gone through so much together. And so finally now, taking into account the discussion we've had, the memories you've shared about your family, what would you like to say to the younger generations of your family who have listened to all of this about the circumstances your family came from and the upbringings that you both had? I mean, Ireland in the 50s was different than Ireland today. Now it's an international country. It's a very liberal, progressive country. Absolutely different place. But it's still great to go back and see everything and see where we grew up. And um, it's important. I hope that I know a lot of our kids have gone back. A lot of our children have been there. And I know some of the plan on going. And someday we'd all like a big family reunion there in some way if we could possibly do it. And obviously coming to America has worked, how to put it that way. I mean, there was not much opportunity in the 50s. Of course, there's a lot more opportunity in Ireland now than there was then. And I think our family has succeeded. Everyone seems to be doing well. And uh, we've kept close. So I guess it was, coming here was a success. I agree. And I think uh, mom and dad would agree and would be happy with the results of their experiment, I guess, <laughs> bringing us all here because it, it took a lot of guts. When I think back on it, well, dad coming by himself and mom handling a whole year at home with the six of us and then packing up a house and getting us on a ship and getting over here. And you think about it, it's like, you know, it's a major deal to put a couple of kids in a car and go somewhere these days. But back then, my God, it must have been overwhelming. But it was important. They did it. And so all the challenges that come along, somehow we'll manage. And they are kids and our grandkids will too. And they have a a lot to look back on to to help them through things. They remember what's happened in the past and use that as a guide. They can succeed. We all made it. And I guess that's about it. Yeah, but the family, they lived there for a thousand years and we didn't leave till our parents' generation. So it worked. It was yeah. a struggle. It wasn't easy, but it certainly worked for us. So I hope it our did. kids and grandkids keep that in mind as, as they go through life. 